Today's podcast is generously sponsored by Gabe and Ranit Schiff in memory of Joel H. Schiff. We're going to do a lot of, we're going to cover a bunch of great topics this year. I don't know how, how much it'll come out with the calendar of how many times we'll meet together. We'll make the most of it. We call this a sheer clully. What I mean by sheer clully in this context is to take a topic that in one shot you cover a lot. And that's the idea. What we're going to do today is I want to take one medrash, which discusses who is the greatest of all time. Really, when you talk about the greatest in terms of uh, Jewish figures, that's this medrash right here. Now, how do you take this medrash? Because it's going to be a back and forth conversation between the different avos, the different great people throughout history. They didn't live the same time. So is this happening in Shemayim somewhere? How are we supposed to picture it? So let me give you just an introduction to how to work with midrashim. Midrashim is a traditional, a traditional teaching that's been passed on and layers are added to it to bring out a certain idea. I'll give you an example. There was a photo journal written by Roman Vizniak. Roman Vizniak, famous pictures of the Holocaust. He has a coffee table book where he had a picture of a young child and you see a Nazi coming after the child and the child's hiding behind the wall. Hiding behind the wall. It's a very famous photo. Now, after some years it came out that photo never happened and there was uproar. These are forgeries, these are fakes. Um, and it's, you know, throw it out. And historians explained that, no, you missed the point. The job of an artist is to bring out a certain emotion. Were there Nazis who were angry chasing Jews? Of course. So he took the image of the Nazi that was angry chasing somebody. Were there Jews who were scared and had to hide? Of course. The image put those two together to evoke a reality of what was happening. In many ways, many of our midrashim do the same thing. They bring pieces together that sometimes didn't literally happen, but you put them in context with each other, an idea, a deep idea is able to come out. That's how often we have to read a midrash, because they're not lit- most of the time they're not literal. They're not telling you something literal. They're bringing out a huge idea of how Chazal understood these great figures. So let's try to analyze who was the greatest of all time. So starting from the beginning, this is from, a, you may know this from Eishet Chayel, it's from Mishlei, Rabot Banan Osu Chayel, Va'at Alisal Kulana. Many daughters, um, Asu Chayel, were valiant, but you were the greatest of all. You were the greatest. So the Medrash is setting up discussing who was the greatest. And it's really from Parsha Vezosa Bracha, where Moshe gives the Bracha to the Jewish people. So Zeshamar Akasa, Va'at Alital Kulana, Medaber Bamosha. At first, the Medrash says, it's probably Moshe. We're going to see if he wins. We're going to have a ranking system. We can do the whole thing. By the way, you can take notes in the back, wherever you want, or not. Now, I'm going to be giving you a lot of nuggets here. A lot of nuggets are going to be coming at you once we get going. So let's see the back and forth, how Moshe, in fact, won to get the title of becoming the greatest of all time. Second line, Kate said, Adam Arishon Omer Lamosha. So Adam Arishon says to Moshe, I am the greatest. I was created in the direct image of God. So let's stop for a second. We're going to take this whole medrash apart. Number one, what do you mean Adam says, I am the greatest? How can you say you already lose in Judaism once you say you're great? That means you just got knocked out from the humility card. So I'll, I'll give you just one side. One possibility is that acknowledging what you're good at sometimes does not mean you lack humility. If the guy who is the best on the floor does not step up and own his place as the best on the floor, it hurts the team. 
right? Not acknowledging what you're great at and what you can do does not make you humble. It, it Sometimes it can make you foolish. If you don't realize you're the guy that can step up and really take the leadership position, then that's a problem. If they're struggling over here over who should be the main model by which we copy our lives afterwards, it makes sense when one would step up and say, I'm the greatest. By the way, there's a Gemara at the end of Sota. There's another nugget. The Gemara at the end of Sota says that uh, one of the Amoraim said, after Rabbi Yosef passed away, bottle, right, bottle anava, humility is gone, chutz me'ana, except for me. Humility is gone. Once that guy died, that rabbi died, humility is gone, except I'm the last one. I, I still got it. Chutz me'ana, except for I. So how do you understand that Gemara? So one shot could be like we just said, that you have to say that acknowledging what you're good at is not a problem of humility. But you know another shot I heard? The student of the Vilna Gon, Rav Elio Rogler. Rav Elio Rogler says, Anna, what do he say? Anava is dead, chutz me Anna, except for Anna. Anna's not I. Anna is the name of a rabbi. And by the way, in the Yerushalmi, there's a rabbi by the name of Anna who appears 14 times. That's what he meant. He didn't say me. He said, once Anava died, it's gone except for Anna. Except for that guy has still got it. It's a possibility. Another way to read that Gemara. So Adam Arishan gets up and says, I am the greatest one. Um, I am greater than you. Why? Because I was created in the initial embossment. By the way, what are they fighting about here? Why is this important to know? What are they fighting about? Yes. One, who they model themselves afterwards, but also, what comment on Zosabracha is this going on? Zotabracha, this is the bracha which you bless the Jewish people. They're arguing who's going to get the right to bless the Jewish people. Now it makes sense why they're fighting about this. Meaning, what's a blessing? When you bless someone, you're giving over your best. You ever say to somebody, I wish you, I wish you the best. Wishing you my best. What do you mean, wishing my best? That's what a blessing is. A blessing is you're taking your best and you're offering that to the other person. You want that person to be inspired by the best that you have to offer. So each one is fighting over that right. They need to figure out who's the best because if they want to give over the best, we need to find out who literally is the best so that they can truly give it over. So other Marishan comes along and says, I was created in your original stamp. What does that mean? Why is that any better? We're all selling Melikini. New, somebody give me a terrace. What does that mean? So what are the first? What does the first do? What do you mean he's the original? The OG. Why, why does OG make you better? Everybody else is less than him. <laughs> why? Say why. Everyone else was partially created by humans when he was only created by God. Purely oh. created by God. There is no, right? There is no other prior ancestor, right? There's no one who came before and therefore they're not descended of anybody but God. Maybe that's what he means. The way he writes it in the Medrash, I, I think it's saying something like the way they emboss a stamp. Adam Arishan Omer, I'm greater. Why? Shinivrati I'm directly in the image of God. You know when you have a minted coin, the coin you use right now, whatever, let's say a quarter. There's an original mint. There's an original mint. There's one main quarter sitting in Washington, D.C., and one in Houston as well. There are primary quarters that are being used as the replicate from which all the other ones are replicated off of. Okay, the pristine quarter. The, per, the quarter by which no greater quarter can be pictured. So maybe that's what Adam is saying. I was the original embossment and everything is being stamped off of me. Also, you have this with rock and roll. People tell you, you got to listen to, let's say, La Havdil, the Beatles, right? So La, the Beatles are the greatest. And you listen to them now and you're like, well, it's good. But you don't understand something. 
everyone copied their model. So of course you improve off of the model when you copy off of it. And if you don't acknowledge and realize that someone was the one who started that, like movies, people tell you to watch this basketball movie, Hoosiers, right, Hoosiers. I think if you guys went back to these classic basketball movies from the 80s, they wouldn't have the same impact as they did like when I was watching them. Why? Because you've already seen all the things that have copied it and then added this and then added that and stole from here, stole from there. So of course it's not as exciting, but you don't realize that was the original, that was pure. That's how it started. That, that, that created the model by which every other sports movie had to copy. Should we ever see Hoosiers? Okay, now, the, I, this, so that's what Adam Arishan is saying. Either shot is that I am, the, I like it, the OG shot, I am the original one that everybody copied off of, or we take Brooklyn's shot that it was, um, that there was nobody else. I came directly from God's hand. By the way, cloning, we have this issue. Um, there's a whole discussion in the postkim about, um, about golems. Golems are like these Kabbalistically created creatures that can do all these things. So forget whether or not you've seen a golem or how does a golem exist. Forget that question. There was an actual debate in the 16th century about golems, whether you can count them for a minion, whether you could, uh, what if you kill a golem. And it sounds crazy. We have these chubas. It's like, if I give a shir that now, we, we think we'd be wasting our time. It's like, who cares? But when you see, as we get closer and closer to cloning humans, those golem answers are going to relate directly here. What do you do with a being that's not created directly by God? It's a being that's created through an alternative system that's never been used before. Taking, it might be the same thing as childbirth. You could say it's in a different way, you know, but, but what, it makes you think. What is the status of a clone? Can I count the clone to a minion? Can I, what if I killed the clone? Is it the same culpability as cl- killing a regular person? All these are ethical questions, which, by the way, is why we haven't gotten to creating a human yet. It's because science has purposely slowed down because people are very nervous about the ethical questions. So human cloning is still illegal in the main countries that would have got to it. Even if we knew how to do it today, we are not allowed to yet here in America. In Japan, you can. Japan has the most liberal um, cloning laws. That's why they were the first to create the human rabbit chimera in the Shanghai University. You know that? A human rabbit chimera. There right now is a rabbit that was brought to life with human blood, Okay, which is wild. Look it up. Shanghai University rabbit human chimera. I don't know how far along the process and what we're going to need to get there, but the point is those chuvas are going to be the same. So let's move on from Adam Arishan. So Adam says, I'm the best because I'm the original embossment. Let's continue. Amr Moshe. Moshe says back to him, I'm greater than you. Right? The cover that was given to you was taken away. Not Mecca was taken away from you. Right? Meaning he's got a great argument here. Listen, Moshe's argument back to Adam is, you're right. You're the original. You're the imprint that came from God. And that gives you a status that nobody else has. But you lost it. You blew it. You got kicked out of the garden. You couldn't hold it together. And because of that original glory that you had, it was taken away. It's as though in the Garden of Eden, they were immortal. And once they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, you became human. You became mortal. You became subject to all the... And that's at that point, diseases set in and everything else that affects the human condition on this earth began to set in at that point and would not have set in before. So Moshe's saying, that cover that was given to you, you're right. He's agreeing with his argument. There's something to being original. However, that was taken, that covered was taken away from you um, at, the original, at the original spot. Okay? The argument of Adam Arishan is also a very Kabbalistic argument. There's something called Chachma Ilah 
or in Kabbalah it's called Ima Ila, the upper mother. What's the upper mother? It means up here is the purest wisdom. As it trickles down, it gets diluted. Um, it's you know what it's like. It's like um, something in its purest form. By the time it gets to your plate, it's already been messed around with. Take rice, right? Rice in its source, in its pure form, was one thing. By the time it's been processed, manufactured, <coughs> preservatives, and everything else, by the time that dish gets to your plate, it's just a fraction of what it was originally. It's, you've lost most of the nutrients. It's one-tenth of what it was originally. That's what Adam Arishan is saying also. I'm 100% from the source. I'm right there at the beginning. But everybody else is trickle-down. Everybody else is just getting the next level. And the lo further you get from that, the more distant you are from that source. So what's Moshe's answer? Moshe's answer back to Adam Arishan is, you, did, you had a perfect plug-in to everything, and that plug was detached. You lost it. Okay, so Adam loses to Moshe by virtue of the fact that he couldn't hold it together. It's one thing to get it, but it's another thing to lose it. By the way, that's true. Something is worse if it was kosher and then it became puzzle, as opposed to if it was never kosher and then it became kosher. Example, a lulav before yantif. Let's say you have a kosher hadasim, and at the beginning of yantif, something puzzle grows on it, and then you take it off and make it better again. That's more problematic. Why? It's called oil veneer venitha. Since it was good for a moment, and then it got ruined, that's worse than if it was never good, and now it's good. That's a worse condition. It's worse if something was good. A Balchuba. I mean, a, a guy who fixes, puts his life together, and becomes a better person. So that person has such a high level in Judaism. But it's a little rough when you knew better. Like, you had everything that should have worked out. You had all the education. You were primed to be outside. And you just lost it all. That person is in a much tougher spot. Shuba's not close to anybody, but that person is a much tougher spot than the person who did not know better. We call them in halakha a tinok shenishba. Mm -hmm. A person who was a, from childbirth didn't know better. You can't blame them. You can't hold them responsible uh, for many of the averis they do because they did, how were they supposed to know? How are they supposed to know? Chazanish famously said that secular Israelis in Israel have a status of tinok shenishba. You can't blame them all for, for what's going on because this is the culture they were raised in. How are they? The onus is on us to prove that it's a beautiful culture. It's the opposite. We used to always grow up in religious shtetls, and for you to break from that was shocking. In Israel, and much of American Jewish society, it's the opposite. You're starting from the other way. So let's continue, let's continue. So Amr Moshe, I'm greater than you, because uh, who's next? Yeah, it was taken away from you. Then comes Noah. Here we get to Noah. Line seven. Noah Amr Moshe. I was saved from the door Hamabel. By the way, just notice something. I was saved. That's so Noah. Noah, it's passive. It didn't say anything great that he did. It said, I was saved. God loves me. I'm a chosen one. I was saved. What'd you do, Noah? It didn't tell us what he did. It didn't say, I built an ark and therefore I made sure. He says, I was saved. That's Noah's whole identity. By the way, it's a Medrash Tankuma that says Noah didn't know whether or not he should have come out of the ark yet. He didn't know. He was waiting for God to open the door. And Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli says that if I was on that ark, I would have broken that door wide open. What does that mean? You know what that means? It means you don't know if your friends are still alive out there. You don't know what's going on in the world. Noah again waits. Noah waits. He didn't change anybody before the flood. This is his personality the whole time. Noah waited. 
Rub, you would have borrowed your license. I would have broken those doors down. God doesn't tell me to go. I'm going. People in the streets, you don't wait to ask a shy. Look, if somebody's possibly suffering on Shabbos or something's wrong with them, you don't have time to go ask a rabbi's questions. You jump out there and you save the person. That's what Noah should have done. So Noah's argument here is a very passive one. Look, look at me. I was saved. God plucked me out from all of humanity, and I was saved, and I was put on the ark. Right? That's his, that's his argument. So now, let's see what uh, – that's a good one. It means you're chosen. By the way, great line from – what's his name? Steve Jobs. Apple? Right? He was adopted. So, um, so they asked him, they asked Steve Jobs, you know, how did that affect his work? Steve Jobs of Apple said, the way it affected me was I could have seen my whole life as somebody who's abandoned, but I chose to see my life as somebody who was chosen. You understand? Meaning some parents chose him. So instead of playing it on his head that someone didn't want me, he played it the other way. Somebody actually chose me. And that's, that's a huge part of my success, of thinking of life that way. It was chosen by somebody. So Noah has the chosen argument. I am here, I am chosen. By the way, chosen people, right? We get in a lot of trouble for that. Jews being called the chosen nation. Because it's egotistical. We're greater than everybody else. We're the chosen people. You know, let's say that I once had, in my school in New York, I had Mayor Bloomberg, who was the mayor, my run for president. So Mayor Bloomberg was speaking, and he said the following idea. He said that, uh, I hope you guys don't all... Are, don't still buy into this whole chosen people thing, right? That was his opening words when he spoke on my show, right away off the bat. They can't, reform and conservatives cannot accept, very hard to accept the notion of chosen people because it smacks of egoism um, and perhaps some say racism. Number one, why it's not racist is because Judaism believes anybody is eligible to convert. There is no race uh, currently on earth that we know of that is excluded from conversion to Judaism. So it's not a racist argument. Um, uh, an argument of global dominance that's a misunderstanding of what chosen nation means. Chosen means for a particular job in the world. I'll give you an analogy that I like. Imagine a football field, okay? This is a chosen nation analogy. Picture a football field. And the ball, the orb, brings light and healing to the universe. It brings light and healing to the universe. The goal is to get that ball into the end zone. Get that ball, get that light, get that orb into the end zone, it unleashes everything. The Mashiach unleashes everything. Who's the runner of the ball? The Jews are the one chosen to run the ball through humanity. All the nations are there either to block, to help with the lateral. It doesn't mean the one running the ball is greater than anybody else, but his job is more equipped to bringing that light across the field. It's like a tank in a battle. The tank is not the most significant part of your battle, but sometimes the tank plays an essential role in shielding off and being able to go through. So that's the idea of chosen nation. We are chosen to bring this light of Torah through the world, into the end zone. we got to bring it into the end zone. The nations are there to help us block and get that value forward. Okay, I'm going off field. Now, so Noah says, I was chosen. I was chosen from everybody. Moshe says, I'm greater than you. You know why? You saved yourself. You didn't have the power to save your generation. Bam, Moshe's got two great arguments so far. Number one, Moshe argued against Adam. I never had anything great taken away from me. What I earned, I kept. That was one. What? Woo, but he never got it yet. He never got it yet. That's an excellent kasha. He lost Israel, Moshe. He lost Israel. He never got it yet. He was never able to go in. It's a good kasha. I would say that. The difference is it wasn't like he was in Israel and had to leave. Like Abraham came back and forth. Moshe never got the schus, and God says... 
I'm not giving you that privilege. The, you're not getting the pass, right? The guys get the kids get the pass to get into the concert early. He never got motion was never given that pass. Number two, number two, his argument over here is that um, I worried about others. You only worried about yourself. Moshe risked his own life. Moshe said, wipe me out of your book. I don't care. Wipe me out of your book if you're going to wipe out my Jewish people. He also smashed the luchos. He took a chance and he smashed the luchos in order for the people. So what you see is, the second idea is that Moshe was not afraid to fight for others. That's the most noble quality up until now. To be able to do things for other people. Everything we do, our ego, our default, is to be able to do for ourselves. What do, what do I get out of this? How does it benefit me? But the answer for Moshe Rabbeinu was, I don't ask that question, how does it benefit me? It's how does this benefit others? Okay? And Moshe first ran away. Remember he ran away from his job? He ran to Midian. He left. He left. Until God confronted him and said, this is on you. You have this. And from that point on, everything Moshe does is for these people. To live his whole life for these people is an unbelievable thing. It's an unbelievable quality to live like that, where you're living for others. You live for yourself, your joy runs out. I'm telling you this now. If every decision you make in your life is for yourself and just for you, that pleasure, that pleasure runs out very quickly. And you begin to feel frustrated and depressed because you're not living for something bigger. Living for other people. That's what Moshe embodies here. That's Moshe's life is to be for. By the way, the connection between Moshe and Noah, what does Moshe's name mean? What does Moshe's name mean? Right? He, mean, Amayim Mishitiyu. he was drawn out from the water. Says the Maral, what water was Moshe drawn from? The Not the Nile. Which waters? What? What water was Moshe drawn from? Not the Nile, what? The Mabal. The Mabal. Good job, it. Maral says that Moshe was drawn from the waters of the Mabal. What does that mean? What does that mean? This idea. What Noah couldn't do Moshe's going to fix many years later. When there's a flood in that world, Moshe's going to figure out a way how to carry the people with him, how to, how to take care of them. That's Minamaya Mishisi. He's pulled out from the world. He's pulled out from the water. He's pulled out from the water of Noah. Let's continue next. So he's got this one handled. Moshe's got that one because you couldn't save your generation. I saved myself. And I saved my generation. When they should have been destroyed by the ego. Line 9. Shenemar Asher Diber Lasos Lamo Lamaha Davar Doma. What's this like? It's like two boats that were in the ocean. He's giving an analogy. Vahayabatochen Shne Gabarnitim. What's a kabarnitim? Anybody know? What's a kabarnit? Good Hebrew word. Kabaranit. Kabarnit is the ship captain. There's a great pirke in the Rabalaza. Listen to this line. Laola Nasa Adam Atzmo Kabaranit. Make yourself like the captains of a ship. I said that at a wedding under the chuppah where there was a big Catholic audience there. Right? They had some, uh, some family members who were Catholic, extended family. And there was a priest there. And under the chuppah, when I was there under the chuppah, I said, You guys have to become the captains of your ship. You guys have to take charge. The guy came over afterwards over me. He goes, Jews, everything is so egotistical. The idea that you guys are in control of anything. Right? Their view is everything is God's. Right? So we believe the whole world color we believe the whole world is God's, but God gives humans free choice. God says, Lola Nasa you become like the captains of your ship, make something of it. Make something of this world. It's our fit one of the most famous Midrash. This Midrash you need to know. It's so essential to Judaism. 
Avram Vinu wakes up one day, he walks out, and he sees a Bira Delecus. He sees a castle on fire. And he says, who built this place? God says, me, I've been waiting for you. That medrash right there is the essence of Judaism. The world is on fire in so many ways. And God is waiting for a partner who can step out there and do whatever it is you do. Step out there with God and say, we're going to get this done. I got this. Right? I got this. You wipe out the dust. I got this. That's Judaism. Judaism believes very much that God puts some control in human hands to be able to move forward and get stuff done. It's a very empowering religion. Buddhism on the op- is, the, is like the opposite. Buddhism believes in releasing everything. Just let go. Release. Release everything. Nothing should be controlled. Nothing can be controlled. All pain comes from trying to control. Christianity believes that everything is in God's control. Judaism is right there in the middle beautifully. Some things are out of your control, you have to accept it. How do you know that? Ezehu Ashir Hasameach Bechelko. Who is wealthy? One who's happy with his chelko. You know what chelko means? His part. What? His part. What do you mean his part? What does that mean? So we translate it as what he has. You know what chelko means? Picture this table. Okay? These are all four chelakim, four parts. One who's happy realizes that this is my table, the one right here. I can't worry about what's happening at that table, it's not my table. This is my chalak. This is my portion. This is my part. If you operate like that, you'll never be frustrated. Why? Let's say you're running late to something. You got somewhere you got to be. You're running late. All of a sudden, you look. If you accept right now, this is your chalak. There's nothing you can do about it. This is this is what it is. It is what it is. There's nothing I can do. There's traffic. This is what it is. I'm going to get to a third inning. Nothing I could do. Well, should I have gotten ready earlier? Maybe. That's the past. Judaism says you don't hang out there in the past. You don't hang out there. You don't live there. Well, what if I get there and it's already... You didn't get there yet. What do you worry about the future? Judaism says you can't dwell on that too much either. We don't even talk about Omaha in the Torah. We stay present. We stay Eretz. We stay land. We stay grounded. Judaism's got this great balance. This yin, this yang. You're in control, but you got to give up control. you got both at the same time. So let's continue. So you got like two, oh, two boats, right? So one guy saves himself and his boat. One guy saves... And the other one just saves nothing. Just saves himself and gets out of there. Lamima Kalsin, who do you praise? Not to the guy who, you, uh, who saved himself and his boat. So to Noah. He did not save himself. Right, That guy will never be able to live the rest of his life. You know the guy from the parkland shooting? There was that security guard who's on the footage. There's the security guard who stayed outside with the closed doors waiting for everything to be quiet and didn't go in. That guy will never, he will never, he, he gave 40 years to the, to the service protecting people. It all means nothing because at the end of the day, the camera was on him when people needed him and he did nothing. And that's all he'll be remembered for. He'll be remembered for the guy who stood there like this, waiting eight minutes before going in to help and to do anything for the children in there. So that's what Moshe is saying over here. I do something about it. When something is wrong, I do something about it. Let's go to number uh, 13. Number 13. Avraham says to Moshe, Ani Godobimecha, line 14. I was, I'm greater than you. Why? Shaiti zan laovrim veshavim. Because I took care of the people who were walking. I fed passerbyers. Okay. Avram could have gone with anything. Remember, he passes 10 tests. Avram could have gone with anything, and he chose the fact that I feed people, which I think is incredible. Because Avram did the Akedas Yitzchak, like there's no greater test than that. Yet his argument in court, his lawyer argument, the lawyer gets up and says, I like to defend Avram as the greatest because Avram fed people. How do you compare the two? You see what Judaism values. At the end of the day, what Judaism truly values is the sacrifice that you're willing to do for others. 
That's the most. That's the most important. By the way, there is a good question. The Rabbeinu Yonah puts the binding of Isaac test of Abraham at test number nine. Puts it at test number nine. How come it's not the tenth test? Tenth test is like finding a place to bury Sarah. How do you go from nine? What's the point of a test after that? Most opinions put it at number ten. Which makes sense. The greatest of all tests. But Rabbeinu Yonah puts it at number nine. How in the world do you put it at number... How do you have a test after that? No, how do you have a test after that? So I'll give you an answer. The greatest boxer, when I was a kid, the greatest boxer, I mean, everyone used to gather, like, the way you guys get together when there's, like, a big game, everyone, whenever Mike Tyson got up, everything just stopped. Everything stopped. I remember going to people's houses to watch pay-per-view, and everyone was watching Mike Tyson fight. Like, it was the biggest deal. And you had to get there on time, because fights would end literally in a minute and a half, two minutes. The guy would knock him out. He was so powerful, Mike. Okay? No one could stop him. And all of a sudden, I remember it was one shot this night, he was going to be fighting Buster Douglas. This was like a nothing fight. He just needed to get another fight under his belt. He was already like 39 and 0. Okay? He was fighting against Buster Douglas. This is no name. I remember seeing the newspaper Shabbos morning in front of the house that um, it, it was Osaka, Japan, is where it took place, and it was a picture of Buster Douglas standing over Mike Tyson, who was on the floor. And no one had ever seen Mike Tyson on the floor. He was never knocked out once in all the 39 wins. He was on the floor. He lost. And the gosh, how did it happen? And I, and I read up on this, of how this happened. So one of his trainers said what happened was it's the, it's the curse of being the best in the world. When you become the best in the world, you let your guard down. I did it. I'm done. Tyson was never the same after he beat Michael Spinks. He was never the same. He beat the best. He did all there was to do. He conquered everything. And he got lazy. He got lazy. And that's why he lost to Buster Douglas. He took it for granted. And he lost. It's a line into Hillel. Who can climb up the mountain of God? That's one thing. But but can you stay up there? That's another thing. And Moshe's turning and saying to Noah, I mean to the Abram, Abram comes and says, I fed, oh, I'm getting off here. Yeah, that, why is it the ninth test? That's why it's the ninth test. Because what does Abram do after he passes the greatest one of all time? Is he still going to be the same great person that he was before? And that's why I think according to Rabbi Yonah, he put it at number nine. And there's still another test afterwards. So what's going to be now Moshe's response back to Avraham? So take a look at um, take a look at line 15. He says 14. Amr lo Moshe, ani nitzalisi yoserim mecha. I am greater than you because ata ha'ita zan bnei adam arelim. You spent your time mainly fasting, uh, f- uh, supporting, and giving food to um, the Gentile world. I had the privilege of bnei adam mohulim. Of supporting the Jews. Yes, go ahead. That's not fair because there were no Jews. Oh, excellent, excellent. Let's hear the argument again. The argument again is Avram Moshe says, I am the greatest because I had the privilege of supporting the Jewish people. I supported them. So Echelon says, not fair. There weren't any. Avram did not have that. What? I'll say it here. Jordan has better opportunities better trainers like, right do you know, compare somebody there's a big debate in, in, um, in, ba- in baseball who's the greatest baseball player of all time by the way most lists it's much easier than basketball people kill each other with most actually in baseball put Ted Williams at number one if you google the stuff Ted Williams as the greatest hitter in any generation you put him in the question is do you judge a person how they were at that time or with the Meaning they were given certain stuff at that generation and therefore view it with what they have. It's circumstantial. You're not right. You don't say there must have been a greater player in the 1600s, but it's not fair because they didn't have baseball then. 
You would never say that. That's his fault he didn't do baseball. It's not me, whatever. It's nothing you could do. We don't ju- we judge them what they could do, and you look over time. So that's a possible answer. I like it. It could be that Moshe's saying, well, it's not whether or not you have the opportunity or not. You're right. You're never because you never have the opportunity. But at the end of the day, I did it. I got those points. I had the privilege of supporting our nation when they were starving, when they were in the desert. I made sure my sklusim got them, my sister got them a well. I made sure they had mana. I took care of these people. So Moshe's saying, to, and by the way, Moshe's saying, I have five minutes, 1225. 1225. Five minute warning. Here we go. Sorry, it's Now, the, uh, oh, I want to go quicker then. So, number one, he's saying, I was there because I was able to support uh, my people. There's nothing like taking care of your family. By the way, people are going to say to you, it's racist why Jews let you charge interest to non Jews, but not to Jews. Here's the argument back. If you look at charging interest as a dark and negative thing, you're right. Judaism is being racist, xenophobic, whatever it is. If you look at charging interest as, it's fine, but we go above and beyond for our own family, that's not racist, that's not xenophobic. Interest is fine, it's not a big deal. Make people make money that way. For our own family though, you've gotta go out of your way to help your own family a little more. That makes sense to anybody. You're gonna take care of your sister more than you ought to take care of some random person in in, uh, Kentucky, okay? The same thing here with Moshe saying. It's not that Judaism does not value taking care of the non-Jew. Just you have to have priority, and the priority care needs to be home first. You protect Israel first, then you can worry about the world. You take care of your own first. It's very important Jewish value. Okay, next, after uh, Avram, so then comes Yitzchak. Yitzchak says to Moshe, I'm greater than you, right? I stuck my neck out on the Mizbeach. This one gives Yitzchak a little bit more choice. Sounds like Yitzchak in our Torah just went along with Avram. Here, I stuck my neck out. He's not talking about the sacrifice he made. He's talking about the fact that he got to see the Shekhinah at that moment. There's a measure that says the angel dropped a tear. The angel was crying at that moment, dropped a tear in Yitzchak's eye. That's why Yitzchak became blind. But the point is that Yitzchak is saying, my moment of sacrifice was so big that I saw the Shekhinah over me. I saw the Shekhinah hovering right over me. There's no greater experience than that. You want to see God in your life? What's this saying? You've got to make a sacrifice. You've got to make a sacrifice. This is true today. We don't have korbanas, but we have sacrifice. You've committed to X, you go a little farther than that. You go beyond. You stay later. You do a little more. You review a little more when it comes to your Jewish studies. You want to see God, you've got to make a sacrifice. About Shabbos, by the way. Someone came to the Bear Mayan Chaim, Hasidic Rebbe, and said to him, How come you, when it comes to Shabbos, I see you love it. You, it's like addicted to Shabbos. Me, I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything, says the Bear Mayan Chaim. And the Bear Mayan Chaim loved this analogy so much. He called his safer by the name Bear Mind Chaim. He says, you know what it's like? It's like making a well. You have a backyard and you find out there could be a water source in your backyard. Okay? One guy goes to every expert. He puts in time. He puts in money into making the most intricate well. He lines it with lime and, and plaster. Whatever it needs to make the well incredible. No cracks. That water's going to come out sweet, pristine, perfect. The guy who just stuck a bucket in the floor of his backyard while the mud's falling in, you expect your water to taste the same way? I worked on filtration systems for three years. Of course my water's going to be sweeter, says the bear mind client. You think you want to just get to Shabbos and feel it? You've got to put in the work. You've got to put your neck out on the Mizbeach. You've got to be willing to take the sacrifices, take the risks or else you're not going to feel the gain of what Judaism has to give you. So let's continue. So Yitzchak says, I put my neck out there, I saw the Shechina. Moshe says, I'm greater than you. Sha'ata re'ita es p'nei shechina, right? But you saw the p'nei shechina, right? But your eyes went dim. You lost some of your eyesight. I spoke to God face to face, 
and it never hurt my eyes. My spiritual makeup made me strong enough to handle that frequency and I didn't break. I didn't break. I was able to hold and therefore I was able to see it. Next comes Yaakov says to Moshe, I'm greater than you because I fought with the angel and I beat him. Right? There's so much to say there. Moshe says, yeah, but you fought with the Malach Pepirburin Shalcha on your turf. You had home court advantage. It was earth. You're earth person. Angel had to come from angel land. That's why you beat him. Ani Ola Etzlan Bepirburin Shalahem. Moshe says, though, I don't wait for them to come down here. I said, enough's enough. I'm going to get them up there. And Moshe struggled with angels. How many Gemaras talk about Moshe's debates with angels who wanted to take away the Torah from the Jewish people? Moshe's saying, I went straight up there and I dealt with it. There's so much in this message. We could do an hour on each line, but we're out of time. At the end of the day, Moshe is the one who gets to give the bracha for the Jewish people. And at the end of the day, I think it's because he sacrificed. He gave for the Jewish people. He gave for his family. He stood for them and he stood for what's right. Yes. Uh, how come, uh, how come uh, when you start the 